Karamo is challenging the state's absentee voting. Two weeks before Election Day, she's soon to have Detroit residents go to vote in person or go to the city clerk's office to get an absentee ballot. Oh, cool. How'd that work out for her, I wonder? We'll find out. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. No, I'm not. so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. I am... From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA and a whole bunch of other affiliates all around the nation and the world. No time to list them though today because we got a big show straight ahead for you. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling edition of the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Okay, uh, first, a couple of days after a couple of days that we have been mired in Donald Trump crimes, you may be happy to know, Desi Doyen, yes. that we will not be covering those Donald Trump crimes today. Yay! I think we could all use a few minutes respite. <laughs> Just a few. We will also not be covering the horse race in which twice impeached Donald Trump, now charged with 71 criminal felony counts with more almost certainly on the way, still plans to run for president again next year. Uh, so not on the horse race, but on the track conditions on which he and many others intend to run next year. For those who have ever followed horse racing, you know that the track conditions on which horses run is often determinative when it comes to which horse will actually win the race. And as we have been uh, covering such track conditions for elections on this program and at Bradblog.com for some 20 years, we will do so again today with a stunning report just unsealed by a federal judge just hours before we go to air today, warning, among other things, that a voting system used across an entire major battleground state has a major flaw that, uh, quote, would allow an attacker to spread malware from a county's central election management system computer to every touchscreen voting system in that county. Sounds serious. Yeah, it is. Another vulnerability that would allow an attacker to simply place a USB drive into a slot to install malicious code that could then modify the election defin definition file that would change election results. Another to allow voters to print as many ballots as they might like. And those are just some of the vulnerabilities now detailed in this report that was so damning when it was originally submitted to the court by the plaintiff's expert in a lawsuit, long-running lawsuit, that the federal judge sealed the report even from the plaintiffs. They couldn't even read their own expert's report. That's how troubling the information was. Well, that report has now been unsealed by the federal judge in Georgia, and we will have a longtime cybersecurity and voting system expert from Georgia on with us to explain the report, the dangers that it highlights, what Georgia plans or does not plan to do about it before next year's critical presidential election, and what those flaws mean 
for the more than a dozen other states which also use those very same voting systems, if not in quite the same alarming way that the battleground of Georgia currently does. All of that, by the way, on the heels of the now infamous Coffee County, Georgia software breach by MAGA folks back in 2021, which we know that the Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is now probing that breach of voting system software after we originally broadcast that news uh, about that breach last November, I believe it was, in which those MAGA folks breached and accessed these very systems and presumably already know the vulnerabilities that are documented by this report that was unsealed today and available to, uh, well, those vulnerabilities have been available to anyone, really, who might have a reason to want to game the election results in Georgia next year. Not naming names, just saying. Anyway, that's coming up, uh, and I'm pretty sure that, once again, we will be the first broadcast outlet <laughs> to cover this alarming report. But just in case you have any actual questions about the interests of these folks on the right to game elections any way they can possibly figure out. Yes, there's a huge incentive, obviously. Huge incentive and now, sadly, a huge industry to support these phony claims about uh, elections. Well, uh, anyway, they can, you know, even folks who are running for the highest offices in some of these states, like secretary of state. The things that they will do to try to game elections. Well, if you forgot, here's a helpful news item from today from the Detroit News to help remind you of what we can look forward to next year. Actually, uh, TPM's David Kurtz brought this to my attention, noting, uh, quote, amid all the judicial sanctions being handed out for frivolous lawsuits over the 2020 election, what jumps out about this case is that the judge is sanctioning top Michigan Michigan GOP officials for a bogus lawsuit about the 2022 election. Way to distinguish yourself, quips Kurtz. <laughs> anyway, a Wayne County judge, Wayne County is Detroit, has imposed a $58,459 in sanctions on Michigan Republican Party chair Christina Caramo, as well as the state party's lawyer, and others because of a lawsuit that they filed last year that claimed without evidence there was wrongdoing and mischief in Detroit's election. In an order signed this week, Circuit Court Judge Timothy Kenny described the October 26 suit in which Karama was the lead plaintiff as, quote, rife with speculation an absence of facts and a lack of understanding of Michigan election statutes and Detroit absentee ballot procedures. Now, to be fair, election statutes and balloting procedures uh, are complicated matters, which not every candidate for public office can be expected to know inside and out. That said, at the time the frivolous lawsuit was filed, Karamo was the Republican nominee for Secretary of State in Michigan. <laughs> that would be the top election official in the state. Who had a complete and total lack of understanding of election procedures. Uh, apparently, at least if we uh, believe the judge here and the suit that he is responding to, two weeks after the suit was filed before the 2022 election, Karama was declared to have lost to incumbent Demo uh, Democratic Secretary of State Michigan, Jocelyn Benson, by 14 percent 
percentage points. So it was not even close, apparently. Karamo, for her efforts, then failed up. After losing that race, she was elected to become the state GOP chair this past February. Mind you, Karamo has never held public office. She never held public office when she ran to become the state's top chief election official last year. She was a conspiracy theorist with a podcast uh, who who claimed to have seen some form of election fraud that she had no evidence for. So she ran for uh, secretary of state. She lost by a huge amount. She was awarded with becoming the, uh, <laughs> the top Republican official in the state of Michigan. The suit from Karamo and six other plaintiffs had asked the judge to require residents of Detroit and apparently only residents of Detroit for some reason to vote in person or to obtain their ballots in in person at the clerk's office. That despite the fact that Michigan and its constitution provides rights to uh, no excuse absentee voting in person or by mail, you don't have to show up in person to get your ballot, at least if you follow the Michigan constitution. Yes, even voters in Detroit, if you can imagine such a thing, are allowed the rights and freedoms of the Michigan Constitution. And according to Michigan Republicans, that's a horror that must be stopped. As Judge Kenny uh, wrote in his order, quote, plaintiffs merely threw out the allegation of, quote, corruption in Detroit as the reason for disregarding the Michigan Constitution in the state's largest city. Kenny's order imposed the sanctions jointly on the plaintiffs and the two lawyers involved in the case, Daniel Hartman and Alexandria Taylor. Hartman is an attorney for the Michigan Republican Party. Taylor recently launched a campaign for the U.S. Senate. So, no, these are not nobody randos. They are actually top Republicans who abused the court system in hopes of gaming an election, and now they're being held accountable for it. Good. The suit cited the election conspiratorial film 2000 Mules, saying it showed unlawful activity through ballot drop boxes in Detroit. In fact, the film didn't provide proof of any wrongdoing in Michigan or for that matter, anywhere else, even though the right-wing Trumpers who both saw the movie and the ones who didn't have been convinced that somehow this film did, how it showed some form of election, massive election fraud. Uh, But it didn't. But apparently these people are very easily convinced of anything, I guess. The judge said, uh, quote, a blanket assertion of corruption didn't overturn the requirements of the Michigan Constitution. The legal position of those behind the suit was, quote, devoid of arguable legal merit. (laughs) The uh, original suit named Detroit City Clerk Janice Winfrey and the city's Board of Election inspectors as defendants. Judge Kenny had retired right after making the decision in this case but decided to come out of retirement to preside, to preside over wow. Winfrey's request for sanctions in this lawsuit. That would be a highly motivated judge, it sounds like. Chris Thomas, Michigan's former elections director who has worked on Detroit recent, uh, Detroit's recent elections, called Judge Kenny's order appropriate, adding the loss, that this lawsuit was really just nonsense, noting that it nonetheless took the time of election officials and the court to resolve it. In addition to Karamo, the other plaintiffs in the lawsuit were a number of other Republican candidates and the nonprofit right wing calling itself Election Integrity Fund and Force. Of course, it is phony groups like that 
election integrity fund and force. Groups like that, you know, when, when they are seeking, calling themselves election integrity uh, advocates, when they are seeking the exact opposite of election integrity, groups like that that have made it very difficult for a long time, actual election integrity advocates like myself, for example, to, uh, to make the case about real election integrity concerns, because so many on the left are now just absolutely terrified of being accused of being one of those phony stop the steal Donald Trump MAGA wingnuts if they dare to present real concerns about our voting systems. Well, I can't speak for the rest of the EI community, the real one. But we here at uh, the Brad Blog World News Headquarters, we will not be cowed. We will plow away with exposing the same concerns that we always have with independently verifiable science to back up the case. That's precisely what the University of Michigan's Alex Halderman has been doing in his examination of horrible, vulnerable touchscreen voting systems made by Dominion and forced by Georgia's Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger on every voter at every polling place across the state. That, even though the software on those very voting systems and election management servers were breached and copied and shared unlawfully across the Internet by a bunch of MAGA folks in Coffee County, Georgia, just one day after the January 6th insurrection in D.C. But now, thanks to a report unsealed by a federal judge today, we all get to know what those MAGA folks likely already do. That full story and what you really need to worry about in 2024, as if there wasn't enough already, <laughs> with Professor Rich DeMello of Georgia Tech. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Buckle up. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by Bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, I hope by now that longtime listeners to this program, in any event, are well familiar with the so-called Coffee County breach of sensitive voting system software in the battleground state of Georgia by Republican MAGA activists in the wake of the 2020 election. In fact, the breach of that system, which included the unlawful copying and then distribution of this sensitive voting system software, began on January 7th. 2021, the day after Donald Trump's insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. The matter is now believed likely to be a part of Fonnie Willis's upcoming criminal conspiracy case against uh, Donald Trump and friends to be unveiled later this summer. And it is also part of, as we've also reported in detail on this program, 
what has been found to be a an apparent multi-state conspiracy overseen by Trump attorney Sidney Powell and hatched in the Oval Office itself with Donald Trump back in December of 2020 to essentially breach voting systems in not just Georgia, but other battleground states as well beyond Georgia, like Michigan and Pennsylvania, even Colorado. That breach of Georgia's critical, sensitive, proprietary election software, a breach which copied and distributed that software in this rural, far-right-leaning Georgia county with the help of Republicans on the local election board there and on the Georgia State Republican Party, that was first discovered by frequent broadcast guest Marilyn Marks, who received a phone call from one of the participants in that breach from an Atlanta businessman by the name of Scott Hall, essentially confessing to the entire scheme. Marilyn, of course, was smart enough to record the call, parts of which were first aired on this program. You know, I'm the guy that chartered the jet to go down to Coffee County to have them inspect all of those computers. I went down there, we scanned every freaking ballot. You know, the same people that went up to Michigan, okay, and did all that forensic stuff on the computers, and they sent their team down to Coffee County, Georgia, and they scanned all the equipment, imaged all the hard drives, and scanned every single ballot. They imaged the hard drives? Yes. How in the world did you get permission to do that? We basically had the entire elections committee there. Okay, and they said, we give you permission. Go for it. And they went for it. And they breached that system and then continued to do so for the next several weeks. So there will be more on that matter, the Coffee County breach from uh, the uh, D- Fulton County District Attorney in Atlanta, Fonnie Willis, as noted, but also from us here on the broadcast in the days ahead as we've been digging deeper into that matter for which no one has yet to be held accountable even as it lies at the center of what appears to be a cover-up by Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. But, as noted, more on that hopefully in the days ahead. But the entire incident came to light as part of a long-running lawsuit in which Marilyn Marks and her watchdog organization, the Coalition for Good Governance, has been challenging Georgia's use of 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. It's been going on for years, this uh, this lawsuit. And in 2019, the federal suit successfully resulted in the state's uh, Diebold touchscreen voting systems that they had used for about 20 years being banned from any future future use in the state after they were found to be unverifiable and unsecurable. But rather than replace those old systems with a new hand-marked paper ballot system that is actually verifiable, as cybersecurity and voting system experts had strongly advised Secretary Raffensperger, he chose instead to replace them with new touchscreen ballot marking devices, or BMDs, made by Dominion Voting Systems. 
Maryland's coalition then continued their federal lawsuit to challenge those new voting systems, which are forced on every voter at the polling place in every county across the critical battleground state by its secretary of state, despite having many of the same security and verifiability flaws of Georgia's old banned touchscreen voting systems. An expert for the plaintiffs in that case, Dr. Alex Halderman of the University of Michigan, was allowed to examine the new Dominion touchscreen BMD systems and discovered security concerns said to have been so alarming that the federal judge in the case, U.S. District Judge Amy Totenberg, actually sealed his report, even from plaintiffs like Marilyn Marks. Eventually, the Federal Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, which oversees the nation's critical infrastructure, including voting systems, was allowed to see Holderman's unsealed report. Well, unsealed to them, still sealed to us. CISA was so troubled by it that they issued an alarming advisory citing, quote, vulnerabilities that should be mitigated as soon as possible. This is just one reason that, as uh, Marx told us on a recent broadcast, there were gasps in the courtroom during a recent hearing in the case, which is called the curling case, when attorneys for the secretary of state's office informed the judge that the CISA recommended upgrades, while completed by Dominion, were just too complicated to even begin installing on Georgia systems before the 2024 presidential election that it would be 2025 before these critical security updates were undertaken on some 35,000 voting machines now used across the state of Georgia and the more than 35,000 printers and scanners and election management system computers that are needed to work with them. But now... Just hours before airtime today, according to a press release issued by the coalition this afternoon, the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Georgia has unsealed Professor J. Alex Halderman's security analysis of Georgia's image cast X ballot marking devices, a 96-page report that describes numerous security gaps affecting Dominion touchscreen voting equipment used in Georgia and other states. In fact, these systems are used uh, in addition to Georgia, according to the database at verifiedvoting.org, in parts of 11 states or more, including Alaska, California, Colorado, Illinois, Kansas, Michigan, Nevada, Missouri, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Washington, and Wisconsin. And often they are used uh, only in some of those states for disabled voters who may need an assistive device to vote. But it's only in Georgia that they are forced on every voter at every precinct across the entire state. According to a summary analysis of his own now unsealed report, the summary also released today, Halderman explains, quote, we discovered vulnerabilities in nearly every part of the system. The most critical problem we found is a vulnerability that can be exploited to spread malware from a county's central election management system to every BMD touchscreen in that jurisdiction. This makes it possible to attack the BMDs, the touchscreens, at scale over a wide area without needing physical access to any of those machines. Well, that doesn't sound good. He goes on to add, quote, our report explains how attackers could exploit the flaws we found to change votes 
or potentially even affect election outcomes in Georgia. And the report describes ways that it can be done in such a way that it would be unlikely or even impossible to detect. The report, as the coalition explains, identifies system vulnerabilities that require prompt, effective mitigations, according to the Department of Homeland Security, prior to the 2024 election cycle. However, the Georgia Secretary of State's office has stated it will not adopt software updates to address the demonstrated security risks until at least 2025. The irrefutable scientific facts compel immediate action by Georgia officials to protect the 2024 elections, said Marilyn Marks, as quoted in the group's news release today, noting that Professor Halderman assessed the BMD system's susceptibility to cyber attacks and found and validated several major vulnerabilities resulting in the sealing of the report, at least until today. Delaying the security patches until 2025 is, quote, worse than doing nothing, warned Professor Halderman. Since it puts would-be adversaries on notice that the state will conduct the presidential election with this particular version of software with known vulnerabilities, giving them nearly 18 months to prepare and deploy attacks. The security risks identified, the uh, release continues, uh, are further elevated by the fact that Georgia's voting system software was unlawfully copied and distributed by operatives associated with the Trump campaign. Partisan operatives have covertly shared copies of the software with an unknown number of individuals and entities. That would be a reference to the Coffee County breach. I should note that the coalition is quick to note here that the Holderman report does not allege nor support any claims of election fraud in the 2020 election. Richard DeMillo, Georgia Tech professor and founder of their School of Cybersecurity and Privacy, is quoted in the CGG press release, noting, quote, I hope the Halderman report puts an end to Secretary Raffensperger's fairy tale that attacks are impossible because the machines are not connected to the Internet. It's especially ironic, he quips, that uh, according to a recent Atlanta Journal-Constitution article, Governor Kemp, the former Secretary of State, who was a big proponent of the state's touchscreen voting systems, by the way, had to travel to Israel to see, quote, haunting examples of how easily a computer or smartphone can be hacked, even if they're not connected to the Internet. Joining us now to discuss this uh, both troubling and, I think, good news in at least one sense is Professor Richard DeMillo of Georgia Tech, who previously served as Hewlett-Packard's chief technology officer and held a leadership position at the National Science Foundation, where research contributions include computer security, cryptography, software engineering. He is also served on several different boards for cybersecurity and privacy companies and organizations, including the Verified Voting Foundation. Professor DeMillo, welcome back, sir, to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Quite a story, huh? Yeah, no kidding. And we haven't even started with you. So, as, as I say, uh, both good and bad news here, I think. This report's finally available to the public and the plaintiffs, uh, who weren't even allowed to see it. That's good, but it documents some pretty alarming stuff. Uh, in layman's terms, if that is possible, what do we learn now from Halderman's finally unsealed analysis? So I, I think what we learn is that is that these voting machines are a problem.
approximately like every other computer that that we have in our daily lives. They they, they don't work all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're subject subject to being hacked. They uh, they get misconfigured easily. They get lost. Mm-hmm. They they get stolen. Sometimes people use them for illegal activities. And all the assurances that we have from voting machine companies and uh, secretaries of state about about how well these machines are curated, vetted, and and, and, and tested is what experts have known all along just a bunch of crap. Mm. Uh, they, they, they are no more equipped to manage this kind of technology than um, um, you know the local dry cleaner mm. uh, would be. The only, the only difference is that, that in a state like Georgia, um, there are 35,000 dry cleaners uh, being managed by one organization with no chief security officer, no, no particular expertise in, in IT management. And, and this is kind of the predictable result. And by the way, I would add uh, that the dry cleaner's computer might even be more secure in that I I read as part of Alex uh, Holderman's report here that the uh, sort of the main, uh, the the election management system, the main brains of the system has not been updated since 2015. Now, you know, I get uh, upgrades to my Windows system about every damn week. These systems have not been updated since 2015? Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, the, the the level the level of uh, naivete I, I think in, involved in managing this this technology is sort of mind boggling. You're, you're right, the, the uh, run of the mill consumer of of computer technology um, reads the the emails from Microsoft or Google or, or whoever mm-hmm. uh, and dutifully updates and patches their their system. Um, somehow, in the state of Georgia, the Secretary of State views every Every precaution like that as a personal affront to his um, to his abilities, and and just digs his heels and refuses to do it. What can, can you give us now that now that this report is public? Can you give us a, a, a kind of an a, an idea of just some of the alarming attack vectors that uh, Alex was able to to find uh, in in a rather short time in examining these uh, BMD systems? Yeah, the 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 um, kind of the headline here is. Is that the things that you worry about, mm-hmm. and and kind of embarrassingly, the things that the, that the election deniers are setting their hair on fire about, is um, is pretty close to 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 what the vulnerability is. Uh, with with modest capabilities, mm-hmm. uh, someone who had who had resources could attack, in the case of Georgia, on a statewide basis, uh, and install malware that would change that would change votes. Um, there are always ways to mitigate that. There are always ways to make that less less likely. We kind of rely on the people deploying the technology to do those common sense things. It doesn't happen. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. happen in most states. It doesn't happen in, in, in the state of Georgia. So when you read Alex's report, when you read his blog post, and he talks about the ease with which you can install a piece of malware. That would that would change votes at a certain time of day in a, in a certain location. It it is pretty close to the, the reality of, of the situation. He de- he describes uh, the fact that these touchscreens do not uh, quote appropriately limit what kinds of USB devices can be plugged in. It does not adequately prevent users from exiting the voting app. So if someone does get an a- access to a, a one of these uh, voting machines, and of course 
everyone has access in Georgia to one of these voting machines, uh, they could sort of stick a, a USB device in there, uh, you know, a, a, a jump drive, a thumb drive in there, and actually make changes to the system. But more troubling, if I'm understanding this correctly, is that you don't even need to go machine to machine. That one single well-placed insider can uh, place malware on onto the main system at the county, which would then be propagated to every voting machine on which votes could then be changed in an undetectable way uh, in the entire county. Am I understanding that correctly? That's exactly right. So, so what we what we what we do in cybersecurity is think about think about attack services mm-hmm. on, on on systems. So, so every place that a that a, a computer system is exposed to a potential attack. We call an attack surface, mm-hmm. uh, and we enumerate these things. So, so, so we we know for for critical business applications what the attack surfaces are, and we know for voting machines, voting systems, what the critical attack surfaces are, and and nearly every place that you look uh, in Dominion system, the attack surface uh, has critical vulnerabilities that that have been ignored. Uh, they could they could be mitigated. They could be they could be um, they could be fixed. They could be managed. Uh, in in a less risky way, but but they're not, and so those attack surfaces are are, are available to anyone with the with the resources to go after them. And the ones you worry about the most are the ones exactly the ones that, that you were mentioning. The ones the ones where where the attack itself is scalable. So so the machines that you're talking about in, mm-hmm. in the county are called election management systems, mm-hmm. um, EMSs. Uh, every Voting machine that a voter interacts with in a precinct, you know, the touchscreen touchscreen systems, mm-hmm. eventually um, gets its programming information from an election uh, election management system mm-hmm. in the county or or in the in the state state headquarters. So so if if an attacker were to um, um, were to go after, let's say, uh, the, the 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 top level machines, the top the top level elect, uh, election management systems. Mm-hmm. In the state of Georgia, in the Secretary of State's office, those attacks would eventually propagate to every touchscreen in the in the state. And um, it, it takes it, it doesn't take any energy from, from from that point on. The the, the the attacks have this kind of energy built into them. Yeah. Uh, so that, that that it just keeps going from machine to machine. And that machine, that election management system. Isn't that the one um, among others? But isn't that the the sort of the main one that was part of the Coffee County breach that these uh, MAGA folks, uh, Sidney Powell organized, uh, the guy, the Cyber Ninja guy that we all know for Doug Logan from uh, Arizona. Right. He was there for weeks. Isn't that what they were looking in, and that those folks now know very well and should know the vulnerabilities just about as well as uh, Alex Holderman does at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's a pretty bad breach. They um they, they they had access, they had unfettered access apparently uh to the election management system uh in in Coffee County. And by the way, we have we have um letters from from the new guy who took over mm-hmm. management of the Coffee County IT in, infrastructure that that will absolutely curl your 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 toenails. Oh. Uh, he, he, he talk he talks talks about machines not being patched for years, uh, being kept uh, in in warehouses where you can see sunlight filtering through through rusted um, uh, uh, rusted doors and and um, dust and dirt gathering on the on the on the equipment. This this is this is not. Um, that's where the your, machine. That's where the machines are kept. These were these were the, where the machines were 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 <laughs> were, 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 were kept. Um, so. Um, you know, 
getting access to the, to the machines, depending on, on, on who the bad actor is, uh-huh. um, just kind of opens up, opens up doorways that, that, that each have a life of their, of their own. Uh, if, if, if you marched, if you marched a group of North Koreans into the Coffee County, uh, facility, they would, they would, you know, come equipped with their own technology and their own, uh, and their own tools mm. and know how to attack these, these systems. Uh-huh. Uh, insiders, insiders who know all the passwords and know how to access the machines have their own axe to grind. They, they, they have access to the, the, the systems. Malware could be installed. Simply, simply just publicizing the software, um, is, is, is a mind-bogglingly, uh, stupid, um, outcome. The, the, um, Wait. Um, the, the, the fact that, that there are people out there that have access to these um, these software systems now and can experiment with them means means that that, that there are there are thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people who have the ability to run the same kind of analysis that Alex Halderman did yep. in his lab at the University of Michigan. Yep. It disrupts what's called the kill chain, which yep. means that, that the most expensive part of of a, of a cybersecurity attack. The reconnaissance, reconnaissance part, where you where you try to understand the vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. has just been made um, uh, mind-numbingly simple for um, uh, for 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 an attacker. Uh, uh, and and those those are the kinds of things that we worry about on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, we do. I'll include myself in that. I, I maybe they would have been more secure had they stored those. Uh, systems uh, next to the toilets at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Rich DeMillo, why were, uh, why w- if this report has been sealed now by the federal judge in this case for two years, uh, I guess two-part question, A, why was it sealed in the first place, and B, why is it being unsealed now? Doesn't this make the systems even more vulnerable to manipulation now that Alex Halderman is telling everyone exactly how you can do it? Yeah, so so this is this is the natural question, and, and I think Judge Totenberg uh, kind of had to work through this in a, in her own mind to mm-hmm. understand how the industry um, industry works. Um, just announcing the vulnerability is not is is not a particularly risky thing to do. Mm-hmm. What you what you do is is you assume that whatever you know, your enemy knows. Mm-hmm. So so if you know there's a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. There's a principle in cybersecurity called Kirchhoff's principle, which says that you have to assume that your attacker also knows that. So by not by not publicizing it, what you're doing is telling the people who are using the system nothing. Mm-hmm. And of course, the attackers you assume know everything that you know, mm. uh, and so so it actually decreases the the security of the whole operation. Makes it less likely, by the way, that that the vendors will correct the errors mm-hmm. uh, since the, the vendor kind of. Uh, kind of gets a, a, a black check mark uh, next to their name for uh-huh. um, for putting out a software system that has that, that kind of flaw in it. Um, but but it, it's it's not an obvious thing, and so so you have to keep repeating it that that, that there is this process called um, uh, responsible vulnerability disclosure, sometimes called cooperative vulnerability disclosure, in which the discoverer of a vulnerability first of all informs the vendor, uh-huh. gives them a chance to fix it reasonable time frame 30 days let's mm-hmm. say uh and then at that point on from from that point on you go public with the vulnerability so the customers know about it the end users uh know about it uh they can make decisions uh to either check the vendor to make sure that they patch um the flaw mm-hmm. uh or move to another move to another another vendor when you when you keep it secret you cut that part of the equation out and and you you, you 
you make it a more opaque take process and therefore more dangerous for everyone. And my hope is that the release, the unsealing of this report, and it is uh, certain portions of it are redacted, I guess the most uh, dangerous part, but my hope is that the uh, the unsealing of this will, uh, you know, get enough notice to uh, maybe put the Secretary of State in Georgia there where you are, um, you know, on notice that something needs to be done here because, you know, is is the breach of the Georgia voting system through the, uh, you know, the penetration and copying and, and, and destruction of software in Coffee County, is that alarming enough to simply prevent these systems from being used at all in the uh, in the 2024 elections, uh, whether in Georgia or anywhere else, particularly if they are not patched and upgraded as uh, as CISA, the Department of Homeland Security has recommended. Dominion has already made the upgrades to the software. They just have not been installed yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Should these systems be used if they are not upgraded? And should they be used even if they are upgraded, by the way? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. We were, we were opposed to, to using these systems from the outset. And the only cybersecurity expert on the governor's panel that recommended the machines recommended against it. Um, but but for, for some reason, uh, the Secretary of State's office in Georgia is tied emotionally to this idea uh, of, of ballot marketing devices. They're more expensive. Mm-hmm. They're more difficult to manage. Mm-hmm. You get your name in the newspaper a lot more if you're a <laughs> Secretary of State, not for good reasons. Right. Um, uh, uh, and um, and nevertheless, they, they they went they went ahead with it. Uh, you would you would think that um, um, you know saner minds would prevail, and uh, and they would step back and say, well, why don't we why don't we move to a technology that we know is safer we know how to manage the risk that is handmarked uh paper ballots which by the way 70 percent of americans use to cast their votes anyway yep. um and um and and that gives us a little breathing room to see exactly what's going on in those, in those machines i hope that that's an outcome i don't i don't have high hopes that that they'll go in, in that direction and do you, um, do you have any we try to keep the pressure on yeah, well, do you have any sense of why Secretary Raffensperger uh, is, is just, you know, refusing to to move to handmark paper ballots, knowing all that we know now, and, and frankly, why he didn't even do so in, in the first place after the court had found the old Diebold touchscreens to be so uh, vulnerable and, and unverifiable as to be unconstitutional for use in, in any Georgia election? What's, do you have any sense of why he is so tied to these machines? It's it's a it's a bit of a mystery. Uh, the um, Secretary of State's office, uh, Brad Raffensperger in, in particular, uh, has been just desperate to find an academically respectable source for this decision. I mean, he he keeps going out to uh, to to colleges and universities and uh, and cybersecurity firms trying to find someone uh, that will that will back <laughs> his misconceptions about. How computers work, and uh, and it always ends badly for for him. Um, I, that, that's that's why I, I was so intrigued with this article in the, in the AJC about uh, Governor Kemp going to Israel yeah. uh, and and seeing seeing machines hacked by the very hack that we have been we have been warning the Secretary mm-hmm. of State about for the last last ten years, and, the so-called air gap air gap system. 
And and Kemp, you know, I mean, he was a huge fan of the deep old machines uh, left office just as they were as as the federal judge said, you can't use them anymore. Raffensperger comes in and replaces them with similar machines with many of the same problems that were in the first machines. Now, I should note that the uh, voting system vendor here, Dominion, disputes the vulnerabilities that are cited in Holderman's report with their own report compiled by a group named. Uh, MITRE, I guess, is how you say it, mm-hmm. uh, right, right. As, uh, and, and the Coalition for Good Governance, Maryland's group notes, quote, uh, that report predictably downplays the severity of security flaws. Uh, they say that all of this can be mitigated essentially by preventing physical access to the systems. Um, is that true? Do I have that correct? Does MITRE uh, have well, that, that correct? That's what, that, that's what they say. I mean, this is, this is an unsigned report from MITRE Corp. MITRE is uh, is a, um, a, a, a federally contracted mm-hmm. uh, think tank. It, it works for, for for many agencies of the of, of the government, mm-hmm. and um, we have a lot of friends and colleagues that, that that work there. It's a respectable place. This particular report came out from the election lab, unsigned, uh, and um, and whoever whoever wrote the report uh, said right up front that that they never looked at. Uh, they never looked at the system. They never analyzed the, the, the system. Yeah. All they did was 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 take on blind faith the Secretary of State State's assurances about how physically secure the systems were uh, to make their um, uh, to make their, their conclusions. Well, I mean, what they what they said actually was was that they agreed with with CISA's analysis that these are actual vulnerabilities uh-huh. that are are, are, are serious uh, and used. Use the representations about how, how physically secure the systems are to downplay the likelihood that that an attack could be um, could be mounted, um, which must be embarrassing to them because because we have on videotape, you know, people just kind of walking in through an open door and, and doing whatever they want to these machines. Yeah, in Coffee County, uh, and by the way, why wouldn't you know a firm hired by uh, whether it's Dominion or the Secretary of State's office? Why wouldn't they be given actual access to these? Systems about which they're supposed to be, uh, you know, writing a report about. I mean, Al- Alex got uh, access to study the machines. Why wouldn't Dominion or or uh, Raffensperger's experts get that same sort of access? Well, if you if you if you look at at the at the expert witness list for the Secretary of State's office in these lawsuits, uh, it's uh, it's pretty thin to non-existent. So they don't they don't have a lot of uh, experts giving them advice. The the advice. That, that every expert, every respectable expert would give them is stuff that they reject out of hand. Um, so they're, they're kind of using their own sense of, of what's going on, mm. uh, uh, to, to, to try to figure out what to, um, what to do. Uh, I, I will say, I mean, have, so having been on the, on the industry side, uh, of, mm-hmm. um, of, of bad news before, mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of under, understand, um, how, how Dominion wound up in this, in this circumstance. So they, they get, they get a lot of bad press because of Fox News, because of Stop the Steal, because of, uh, of, of bad news from uh, from Georgia, and and they're they're desperate to find someone respectable to give them a pat on the back. Uh, and so so it was Dominion that reached out evidently to um, to MITRE mm-hmm. uh, and asked them to do this assessment, not of Alex's report, of the feasibility of mounting the attacks. And, I I don't know how you and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you you can imagine how the how the conversation went. Uh, well, well, how would we know that? And they would say, "Well, the Secretary of State will will 
guarantee that the machines are are physically secure and someone at Meyer said, oh, okay, well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> well, and, uh, and, of course, so good that they didn't sign it. I mean, I can't imagine they didn't sign their own report, put their own name on it. I can't imagine how any respected, uh, self-respecting computer scientist would say, well, sure, I'll do a report. I don't need to look at the actual machines about which I'm reporting. Uh, very quickly, I got like three or four questions, uh, Rich DeMillo, that I want to hit. I'm uh, short on time, but how... How the hell did these systems get certified in the first place with all of these wildly uh, troubling vulnerabilities? The U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, the EAC, is supposed to examine these machines before certifying them. Were they unable to find all of these flaws that Alex was able to find so easily? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the problem with a voluntary compliance system. Um, it's a moving target, exactly what it means to be certified. Um, is it the entire system? Is it just this one piece of the system? Do I really have to recertify it, even though I've made this um, this small small change? Do I use version one of the certification or version two of the certification? And and there's always some kind of sob story about why you should go with the least restrictive way of of doing the the evaluation. Um, EAC, despite the the fact that it, it has uh, has quite a strong technical contingent on its, its advisory board um, tends to go with with the with the secretaries of state who mm-hmm. uh, who who are not big fans um, of, of election advocates like uh, CGG mm-hmm. um, uh, they're all affected by these by these lawsuits and it, it, it creates a, an adversarial atmosphere that that, that doesn't help um, doesn't help that kind of interchange I... uh, and uh, that, that, that you know the Actually, the thing to do is, is is to create a real strong independent agency of the federal government that that has uh, requirements and enforcement power. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. No, I don't either. I've been reporting on the EAC for about twenty years now, and every time I report on them, it's problems exactly like this, where they miss things that are easily found. Uh, as soon as anyone who doesn't work at the EAC actually examines uh, one of these uh, systems. Um, can Americans, Rich, have, have confidence in the election results from Georgia next year if these systems remain in use without being upgraded as Halderman and the Department of Homeland Security is strongly recommended? And, and for that matter, can we have confidence in the election results from Georgia even if the systems are upgraded uh, versus a switch to simple, verifiable, hand-marked paper ballots? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated question, Brad. The, 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 the question that people ask is, um, aren't you eroding trust in the election system? Uh, and, and the answer, of course, is that trust is not the issue. Mm-hmm. Trustworthiness is the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and as, as long as there's an attempt to make these systems as trustworthy as possible, and to put as many layers of checks and double checks and audits uh, and, and and design constraints uh, on the on the system, they will be more trustworthy than they than they would have otherwise uh, otherwise been. I think it's a bad idea to just blindly trust the technology. Um, uh, as someone who's created this technology for the last fifty years or mm-hmm. so, uh, I, I can't think of a worse idea um, than than that. Um, and it's not it's not. Um, uh, it's not a bad thing to, to question um, the people that are making the, the assertions. They should be able to give you evidence. They should be able to give you uh, uh, give you tests that, that have some teeth. They should be able to show you processes and measure the effectiveness of those uh, of those processes. They should they should confront scientific evidence with 
scientific responses and 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 work with the with the uh, advocates to improve the system for for all of us. I think that will happen. It's going to happen slowly. You can see that there are some um, uh, some uh, jurisdictions where where people are thinking this far ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the case across across the board, and it's obviously not the case in downtown Atlanta. And it's disturbing because there are so many who uh, might have once been concerned about these things. Now they confuse people like you, Rich, and and me, and Marilyn Marks, and Halderman, and the coalition, and so forth, uh, with the stop the steal people who are making you know baseless claims and or you know unlawfully breaching these voting systems. Whereas we're talking about not, you know, we're not making claims about that the elections have been stolen, but saying these are very real vulnerabilities that, you know, could be mitigated with, you know, a simple pen and paper to mark ballots. And I should underscore, you're the dean of computing at Georgia Institute of Technology. You founded the uh, Georgia Tech uh, Information Security Center, not exactly a Luddite yourself, warning people that, Pen and paper are verifiable to mark paper ballots. Uh, last question: What about uh, the use of these systems in other states? I mentioned, you know, a bunch of states. A lot of uh, California counties out here apparently use the exact same system, though most are only for disabled voters who need an assistive voting device that you, and, and choose to use one rather than uh, a mail-in ballot, or rather than uh, like in Georgia where everyone's forced to use. But uh, should we have confidence in? The use of these systems now that they've been breached in in Georgia, elsewhere in other states next year. Well, uh, if, if 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 usage is uh, is restricted to ADA compliance, let's let's, let's say um, uh, it reduces the attack surface. It it, it it makes the impact of any potential breach much much uh, much much less. Doesn't mean it's a good thing, mm-hmm. but 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 it's a very different situation than what you see in Georgia, where we have what are called universal use. Uh, mm-hmm. ballot marking devices by far the most ballots are 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 cast on um on these universal use devices even though we have still have a pretty liberal um uh, write-in ballot policy it, it, it's been tightened up uh a lot in the last couple of years but it, it's still it's still pretty liberal and and uh and you're allowed to cast um absentee ba- ballots which is a handmark handmark paper ballot which is, of course, the best way to go if you are forced on Election Day at the polls to have to use one of these vulnerable systems, whether they've been patched or not, frankly. Uh, we, will, we will, of course, link to, uh, to Alex's now unsealed report and much more information at bradblog.com on all of this. So, uh, you know, you, unlike apparently Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State of Georgia, you know, doesn't have to put your head in the sand. We'll uh, let you know what's going on. Rich DeMillo is the founder of Georgia Tech's new School of Cybersecurity and Privacy at Georgia Tech, where he is a professor of uh, computer uh, programming. Rich, really appreciate you explaining all of this to us today. Oh, and by the way, you can follow him on the Twitters. I think he's still there at rad underscore ATL, rad underscore Atlanta, I guess. Richard, uh, greatly appreciate you joining us today on the broadcast again, sir. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, sir. You know, I've been uh, covering this stuff for years now and every time these systems are examined by any legitimate independent expert these kind of flaws are found but apparently the folks at the eac the u.s elections assistance commission just can't seem to find them 
when they certify these machines in the first place. This happens. This has been happening for 20 years since we have been covering these systems. Uh, you know, in fact, when I uh, first got to know Alex Halderman, whose report was unsealed today, uh, he's now one of the world's foremost experts in voting systems. He was actually a student at Princeton That's at the right. time. Remember? Yes. He worked on the first known lab hack of a touchscreen voting system. It was, in fact, one of the Diebold systems that were used in Georgia at the time. And um, we were able to obtain one of those systems and sort of smuggle it over to Princeton at the time where he was a, a student. And, um, you know, they discovered that accessing just one of those touchscreen systems used in Georgia, the old Diebold systems, would allow someone to inject malware that could pass itself from machine to machine to overturn election results in a way that would be nearly impossible to notice. Sound familiar? We're still fighting that same battle. The same battle. For different machines, yes. same problems. I mean, the more things change, the more they stay the same, I guess. I guess I need to do a better job. Anyway, <laughs> all right, we got to get out. My thanks again to Rich DeMillo, to our uh, producer, Desi Doyen. <laughs> I forgot what you were. Uh, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download it anytime for free. Share it with friends at bradblog.com or uh, download it from one of many podcast sites out there that the Bradcast is now on. All of this made possible by those of you kind enough to donate at bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us on your public airwaves telling these important stories. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Bradblog. We will... See you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported. Thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1937. That was the day John L. Lewis called miners who worked for Little Steel Coal subsidiaries out on strike. It was an act of solidarity as conditions worsened on steel strike picket lines. The walkout was designed to force the closure of steel mills by stopping the flow of coal. 10,000 workers in as many as 19 mines owned by Republic Steel, Bethlehem Steel, and Youngstown Sheet and Tube dropped their tools. Bethlehem had not been one of the independent steel companies initially included in the Little Steel strike, but workers at its Cambrea Works in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, walked out in sympathy with railroad workers at Bethlehem-owned Black Lick and Connemaw Railroad. They had been refused a contract. Striking miners in Johnstown marched to Cambrea Works to join the seven-mile stretch of picket lines. In Ohio, the Canton Federation of Labor voted unanimously for a general strike if the newly formed Citizens League attempted to force reopening of the steel mills. 
SWAC leader Van Bittner threatened to call out another 600,000 miners by week's end if the strike was not settled. John L. Lewis remarked, quote, Labor is menaced by the force of arms of Republic Steel Corporation. Labor is calling attention to this situation so the law, government, or public opinion can begin functioning before another massacre takes place. UAW President Homer Martin added, quote, It is our purpose to spread the light of democracy to every part of this land until autocracy and industrial slavery have been driven from the country. But Johnstown civic leaders and town officials had formed a citizens' committee and prepared for battle as the miners approached. It seemed there was no end to the anti-strike violence. For more information, go to LaborHistoryIn2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at LaborHistoryIn2. Hi everybody, Juliana Forlano here from the Juliana Forlano Show on the Progressive Voices Network on TuneIn. Do you like to know what's going on in the world but don't like walking away from your news show feeling all depressed or jacked up? Do you like political humor? Then check out our show, The Juliana Forlano Show, Saturday at 11 a.m., Sunday at 9 p.m. on the Progressive Voices Network or find us at julianaforlano.com.